It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. While we're together, we might as well say, join me on this. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be? Oh, won't you be? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Hey, neighbors. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. And I recognize last week, I came out singing as well, and about half of our church thought, what in the world is Pastor Jimmy doing? I think he's crazy. Uh, I realized that many of you, especially if you're younger, have no idea what I was doing, and you thought, I think Pastor Jimmy's crazy. Well, you're partially right. Um, so we talked about we're in a series, week two, of Won't You Be My Neighbor? And I recognize for some of you, you have no idea what I just did, and you might better know this song or you're thinking, he messed it up. That's not how Daniel Tiger sings this song. <laughs> Listen, I recognize that, and this is the guy, Mr. Rogers, we're talking about, is the one who created Daniel Tiger. This is a puppet he created very early on, and now there's a show on PBS called Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Does that help you a little bit, understanding that I'm not that crazy? Okay, that crazy? Um, now, in, in this new show, I'll be honest with you, I've never really watched an episode up until this week when I realized, I was like, oh, people had no idea what I was doing in our church, and I'd hate that. Uh, so I, I did. I watched Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood because that's what you do at 43, and I was like, this is cool. And as he started to sing the introduction song, I was like, oh, this is familiar. It's a little more upbeat. I'm in. I like it. Um, but there was something in this intro that I'd love to just kind of read to you, because I can't sing it because I don't understand uh, the rhythm of it enough. So um, he says this, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Familiar so far, right? Okay, then he goes on to say, it's Daniel Tiger's neighborhood, a land of make-believe, won't you ride along with me, ride along. And then he jumps onto the little trolley and goes to wherever he's going. And what, what I like about this introduction from Daniel Tiger is he invites us in to a very specific place that's very, very important to understand. It's really clear, it's a land of make-believe. A land to make believe. And, and as you go through the neighborhood with Daniel Tiger, he's on the trolley who he talks to as a regular character. And I thought it was interesting because Mr. Rogers in the original show had a trolley. And does anybody remember when trolley showed up, what noise it made? Yeah, ding, ding. It was a little ding, ding sound. Um, fun little side note, Michael Keaton was the one who used to pull the trolley when it first started. Yeah, the real Batman. Okay, the real Batman. <laughs> Batman pulled Mr. the trolley, okay? Um, but every time the trolley came in, 
it would make that little ding-ding sound. Mr. Rogers would talk to the trolley about what was happening in the land of make-believe. And Mr. Trolley is this amazing little, you know, uh, just cart on a track. And it would always go into the land of make-believe where there were puppets and people interacting and it was where problems could happen, but they'd be solved within the week. They would be, you know, resolved, and there's really no problem, and things get back on track. And then when you take the trolley back into real life, in the real world that we're in, things were a little more difficult. And Mr. Rogers was doing his best to help kids understand the difficulties of the real world that we lived in. He would help them and do his absolute best to help kids, and oftentimes parents as well, understand how do I process and live in this world right now? I think he did this because he understood that how when life gets hard, many of us, including himself, he would say this, want to leave the real world that we live in and go to the land of make-believe where we can leave those problems somewhere else. They, they don't have to come with us. We jump on the trolley and we go because in the land of make-believe, things can just go the way that we want them to go, right? Does anybody have a, a land of make-believe that you just retreat to sometimes besides me? Okay, excellent. Um, I, I, I'm there. I'm there sometimes, often. And now, whether you've chosen to follow Jesus or not, I think that we, we do this in different areas of our life. Right? We do this in our families when things are difficult or at work when we don't want to deal with a project or people. We do this at school when there's issues on a team or at your lunch table or around a class in homework. We run off to the land to make believe because we really don't like our neighbors and want to deal with them. What happens is we, I think we expect people to operate and to behave a certain way and to do certain things and life should go a certain way. And, and, and when the unexpected and when the complications come of real life, it's just easier to jump on trolley and go to the land of make-believe. And then every single time we return to the real life that we're living in, we're frustrated, we're disappointed, we feel defeated. And if you are a follower of Jesus here today, I am going to make an assumption for all of us today that you have experienced this when it comes to how you interact with the church, how you interact with the people in church and the church itself. Because when church in real life gets complicated and hurtful, and, and because it's not always what we expect, is it? And when it's there, we want to leave to be carried away to the church in the land of make-believe. Let's just call this land of make-believe church uh, LMBC, because it's always fun to abbreviate churches. We, we love doing that stuff, right? You know, at, at LMBC, at the land of make-believe church, there's a couple cool things about this church. I don't know if you've ever been here, but um, ideally at this church in the land of make-believe, there's tons of services, tons of services. And so this way you can attend the service that fits best for you for that week because, I mean, your week changes. It's busy. It's school time. It's kicking up, right? Work may be busy one week. You could find your time. And, and, I mean, but the good news is some weeks are just too busy. So at LNBC, here's what's great. Attendance is not really required. You can kind of come and go as you please. They don't really take attendance or anything because, you know, hey, it's okay. When you go to LNBC... Um, I love that the people there, perfect, perfect. They're not judgmental. They don't lie. They don't cheat. They don't steal. 
they don't really have any conflict whatsoever, so there's no real need for conflict resolution at LMBC. So you don't have to worry about any of those things. They don't hurt people because the only gift that really exists at LMBC is the gift of encouragement and building up. They perfectly align with each other theologically, politically, economically, and socially. At LMBC, oh, come on, the kids and the teenagers, they are taken care of by the, the, the kids director and the youth pastor, and they parent them well through those years and then give them back to us, right? They take that responsibility of crazy off our hands. Oh, man, I expected an amen there. That's, you know, that'd be great. At LMBC, that's what we expect, right? That's what we want over there. The music, oh, the music is the best. If you hate it, we don't even do any. So, so you can get like a lecture, but if you're like, oh my gosh, I can't stand when Jimmy keeps going, the great news is at LMBC, the messages are only as long as you want them. They're never convicting, I promise you. They're very easy, topical, and smooth, and if you just want to skip it all together, it's like a worship night, except during the day. We'll call it worship day, and that's it. You see, at LMBC, things all go our way, and it sounds amazing, doesn't it? Can I just tell you that I know too many followers of Jesus, too many Christians who have been burned by people in one church, and so they take the trolley to LMBC. They take the trolley, they head off there, and what I didn't mention about LMBC is all these people that you maybe interact with who are perfect, they aren't really there. Do you know why? Because you're the only person who can attend this church. Because the moment you add one, it gets complicated. It just does. But I think there's something in us that wants to retreat all the time to jump on trolley and get away from the people that we're with because, listen, church is complicated sometimes, isn't it? God doesn't want us to be part of land of make-believe church. He wants us and has designed us to be part of real church where the people that you're gathering with right now are just as dysfunctional as you are. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. Isn't it great? You guys are just as messed up as I am. You could pretend you're not, but I know better than that. I've talked to you. You've talked to me. Our lives are hot messes, aren't they? They really are. And yet, for some reason, the truth is, since we're all such messed up people, saved by the gross grace of Jesus, we hold each other accountable to living these unrealistic, expectative lives of perfection when we forget that God has called us collectively at his, as his church to live holy lives. We are called to a life of holiness, set apartness for God, and we know that since this is what he wants, we attain for this, but we're all falling short of this constantly. And can I just tell you that it is hard to live a holy life, amen? It is hard. And, and the worst part is when we get disappointed by the people around us and they say something stupid to us or we say something stupid to them, we want to start to go this journey alone and go, you know what? The people piss me off. I'm just going to do this, me and God, and that's it. And, and that's fine. I don't need them anyway. We can't live holy lives alone. There is no way we can love each other if each other isn't in the picture. It's just the truth of it. We can't love each other if each other's not in the picture. The only way that we will be able to take one step towards Jesus constantly is if we do this in community with each other. 
There is no other way to live the Christian life, regardless of what the evangelical church has said about Jesus being your super personal, you know, compartmentalized Savior. Your faith cannot be lived alone. It has to be lived in community. It just does. There's no other way around this. That means we're going to have to trust each other a little bit, which is risky. It's humbling. And it's exactly how God has designed it. And this struggle to live life together is not new. This has been a struggle since the very moment the church was established as these new followers of Jesus began to gather together in communities. Things were messed up quickly. It did not take long for them to start to gather together until things just went nuts. And, and I'd love to look at uh, around the passage, not necessarily at the exact passage that Chris had read for us uh, just a second ago in Colossians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. It's going to be more towards the right-hand side of your Bible. And as you're turning there, um, this, this is a great letter that the Apostle Paul, who's likely in prison, has written to this church. And uh, some important kind of background, if you will, Paul has never met this church in his life. He, he didn't start this church. He's never been to this city. This was actually started by one of his co-workers named Epaphras. And Epaphras is with Paul when he's writing. And as he's with Paul, um, Epaphras, the only way that Paul knows about the church is because Epaphras keeps talking about them. He's like, these guys are the best. They love each other so great. They're this, they're that. And he is so excited about the church. And then when they go to start praying together, Epaphras just prays so deeply for this church. And some of the cool prayers are in this letter that you can read. They're amazing. And so Paul, being so excited about this church, is like, oh man, I got to write them a letter. I, got, I just got to write them a letter to tell them how thankful I am for them. And so... In this beautiful way, he uses the first half of the letter based on Epaphras' prayers, and he starts to encourage the church about some uh, false teaching that's in the area and saying, here's the ways to kind of get around that and not necessarily deal with it, but remember who Jesus Christ is. Remember who he is, and he gives them this great hymn to remember, and, and as they read these first two chapters, he's reminding them that Christ is their foundation, that the Christ is what matters most, and that there's lots of things as they come together as a community that are going to get in the way of them living life in a holy way together. And you know what a lot of those things are? They are some rules and regulations that they set up. When people come together, we like rules, don't we? We like to keep things in order. And, and the Apostle Paul is going to be like, listen, I know that there are some rules you're going to set in place, and your heart is in the right place. I, I believe that. But let me tell you something about these extra rules. And in chapter 2, verse 23, this is what he says. He says, these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's what? Evil desires. Paul recognizes, listen, some of the rules and regulations that you're putting on each other, don't eat this, don't touch that, don't do these things, that's fine. They seem like they're wise, and they're really hard to do. So if someone could do this, man, good on them. But let me tell you something, you can follow all these rules, and it still will not deal with the biggest issues that you have in your life, and that is conquering the evil desires. If this church is going to live a counter-cultural, holy life church, if that's who they're going to be, holy in Christ, 
then legalism and rules are not going to cut it. They're just going to have to do something different. And so thankfully, Paul doesn't leave them there. He continues in chapter 3, and he says this starting in verse 1. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the reality of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and in God. And when Christ, who is your life, let me repeat that, and when Christ who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, he's talking about the second coming here, you will share in all his glory. Paul says your rules and your legalism are not going to fly. They'll look good, they seem wise, but they are not where you're going to find life. If you really want to find life, here's what you need to do. You need to change where you're looking from looking at the world and saying, we're not doing these things, to Fix your eyes on Christ. You focus on Christ. This is what matters most. And then your brain isn't no longer comparing to the world. Your brain is now thinking about things of heaven. Things of heaven like forgiveness and redemption and mercy and grace. This is where our brain should be. It's not the things of earth. And now you can remember that you are alive, not because you're alive, but you are alive because of Christ. Christ is your life and let that consume everything you do. You see, in this early church, Paul is encouraging them to live holy lives remembering they are in Christ. And it only happens by redirecting where they're looking and what they're thinking about. Paul is not talking about land to make believe church, is he? He's not talking about that at all. He's not talking about land to make believe spirituality where things always go your way. He's saying, If you want to make it through this, you're going to have to reframe how you think about life altogether. If you're going to live in this real world, you've got to reframe that. And instead of a list of saying, here's what you have to do to reframe everything, instead of rules and regulations, Paul gives this list of root issues here that go way deeper, way deeper. He says, these are the things you've got to kind of put to death. If you look at verse 5 and then we'll jump to verse 8, this is what Paul tells them to do. You need to put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. I don't know if you picked this up, but when you look through that list, it's so easy to look and measure ourselves and go, where am I the worst? Where am I the... That's not what this is about. What Paul is talking about here is that every one of these things have everything to do with how we interact with each other. They have everything to do with how we live in community as the church. Lying to each other, sexual immorality with each other, cheating each other, being angry with each other, slandering each other. Paul says this this list here, this is the way the world lives and they're fine with it. 
Whoever you need to push down to keep moving up, just go for it. That's the way the world works. And we use that phrase all the time. That's just the way it is. But Paul's saying that's not just the way it is. Maybe that's the way it is out there. But when we fix our eyes on Christ, things are going to look different. That's not what a holy life, that's not what a holy heart is going to look like. So, in verse 10, he says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in us all. Amen? Paul's saying, you can sit there and and try to modify your behavior to do all the right things for you, but the reality is you're still living with people. And if you want to live with people, it's going to take you stripping off this old self where these are our natural behaviors and saying, I don't want this anymore. I need to clothe myself with Christ. It's not in here, but it's so dumb that I think about this. It's like taking off my sweatshirt I wear every day and putting on a cardigan. I'm putting on Fred Rogers. He changed every episode. And it was a signification to these kids that I look different because I'm here for you. Are we putting on Christ so that we can be available for other people? It's not just for us, but it's for others. And when we're putting this on, you know what's great? Is we begin to see people like Jesus Christ saw people. He did not see them as Jew and Gentile, male and female. You know, he did not see them as separate in all things. He said, what matters is, it's not if you are un, or if you're a barbaric or you're civilized. I don't care where you come from. I care about you. I want you to be my neighbor. I don't care about the stuff that that comes with you. I care about you. I don't care if we agree on everything because I care about you. I need help with that because I don't go there by myself, but I go there as you encourage me. There's a calling we have. And that's what verse 12 is all about. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. Do you know that God has chosen you to be holy? If you have said, I dedicate myself to the teachings of Jesus Christ and believe he he is the son of God who died for my sin, everything that I've ever done wrong and will do wrong, that he has paid the penalty for that sin. If you have said, I believe this, I accept this, and I want to dedicate my life to following and apprenticing under Jesus, then you have been chosen to be a holy person. That feels like an overwhelming calling, doesn't it? That feels so difficult because I know how sinful I am, and yet I have to be reminded all the time that God has called me to be holy. He's called me to be holy. He's called me to be holy. And then in all of those passages, that whole passage that that Chris had read for us, and thank you for just so boldly, this is the word of the Lord. Man, I felt that because it is. And you know what the word of the Lord told us? Do you know what Chris read for us? Is that in real church, in verse 13, it says you need to make allowance for each other's faults. That means we're going to screw up, aren't we? The people around you are going to fail. You and I are going to fail. So we better have some allowance for people's faults here. We're not perfect yet, are we? 
And then in, in verse 13, he also says, you need to forgive anyone who offends you. This is a real good one to tell people and a really hard one to live out. Oh, just forgive me, I'm sorry. And forgiveness is, yes, it's godly, but it's a process sometimes. But boy, wouldn't it be great if we extended the same forgiveness to each other that we hope and expect from each other? We did a message on that a couple weeks back. Just go search for oranges. In verse 14, he says, you know what you should clothe yourself in? Clothe yourself in love. The world that you live in is so toxic, it's hard, it's difficult. When we come together as a community in any fashion, we should be clothing ourselves in love to bring encouragement to each other. This is what we need. And then in verse 15, he says, live in peace. Do we not live in a divided world? Will a call to holiness not look different to the world we live in when we live in peace and we can disagree well? Our world needs to see that in followers of Jesus. We're far too divided, but living in peace. No intentionally picking fights and poking the bear. I ask for your forgiveness where I've done this and do this. In verse 16, Paul says, listen, as a church, do me a favor. Would you teach and counsel each other? We need each other in Scripture. I am so grateful this week as we've been soaping through you know, First and Second Thessalonians and moving into Titus over the last uh, two weeks, I have had so many great conversations with many of you of what the Lord has laid on your heart, and, and it has encouraged me. You have taught me as we search through things together, and it's been so amazing. Why? Because this is how God's designed us to live, is to counsel each other, encourage each other, but with Scripture. And then finally in verse 16, he says, Go ahead and sing and thank God together. There is something amazing about music and thankful hearts, isn't there? Colin, thanks for asking for testimonies and, and being able, for those of you who shared those, what a gift to my heart to hear how God's working in your lives because I don't know all those stories. And to hear them, I'm like, oh, Lord, you're so faithful. You're so good. Your story blesses my heart. And then we get to sing together. And watching many of you trying to catch rhythm from a nice, deep, spiritual, uh, you know, south, southern spiritual song is kind of hysterical. And so there's joy in the house of the Lord, isn't there? We should be excited to come together, excited to sing together because there's joy in this. And even though Paul never met this church, he knew that life in community would be difficult. He knew that people are frustrating and he knew that it's the only way that anyone who was part of the church was going to be able to live a holy life. God had never intended for us to live separately. It's always, from Genesis to Revelation, happening in the context of community. And the very community that's wounded us and continues to wound us and make us want to go to LMBC on the trolley is the very community that we find healing in. I'm sorry if you've been hurt. I'm sorry if other churches and Crossbridge has been a point of pain for you because pain stinks, but I can't apologize for other people's actions, only my own, and all I can say to you is we still want you to be part of community. And anytime you're going to choose to do this, it's going to cost you. You're going to risk, and you're likely going to get hurt. Crossbridge is not perfect. You're going to get hurt here too because we are all messed up. And we're trying to do this together the best we can. 
don't be surprised if someone says something you don't agree with. You're like, oh, this is who we are. That's why we need these instructions that change our hearts to say, clothe yourself in Christ and just forgive because you have no idea what, what, what's going on in their home and let's, let's be gracious with each other and love each other. And I'm telling you, I, I know in the depths of my being that when we commit to learning and practicing the ways of Jesus together, when we choose to live holy lives together and hold each other accountable to that, how we interact with the world around us is going to be completely different. Mr. Rogers demonstrates this um, wonderfully. And you may not know this, but he was an ordained Presbyterian minister. And uh, actually, his Presbytery was really frustrated at him because he was like, my ministry is going to be to kids through television. And they were like, that's not real. And uh, television was brand new. And they're like, that feels like it's just a cop out. And he's like, no, it is. And it went through like all the way up to the general council type things. And they finally approved him to do it. Mr. Rogers was very interesting because his Christ-like life came through on that screen. You could see the way that he treats people. And I think what, what drew people into this show was the light that he demonstrated looks so starkly different from the dark world that we live in. And his world in the 1960s was very dark and confused. In, in the 1960s was a time when racial division in the U.S. was um, a tipping, at a tipping point. It's probably the best way to say this. It was on the front page of the news every single day. There were stories of violent and bigoted behaviors that were hitting the, the newsstands constantly. And although segregation was outlawed by the, the civil rights law and uh, the Civil Rights Act in 1964, black citizens of the United States were still, in this specific illustration I want to give to you, were not allowed into public pools. They still segregated public pools, and it was, it was horrific. There's, there's a, 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 oh my gosh, it's burned into my, my head, of a video where there were black American citizens who went into a pool at a hotel in, the, in, in uh, St. Augustine, I think it's St. Augustine, Florida, and the hotel manager came out so violently angry, and his words were so putrid, but even worse was the, the jug of acid he held and dumped into the pool. He was willing to risk his own property to get those black people out. And it did not change in 1964. It stayed that way for years. And in 1969, Fred Rogers made a huge statement, and he did something that caused a lot of issues, but he never did it for that reason. On May 9th, in episode 1065, Mr. Rogers radically lived the life of Jesus in a way that shocked everybody, but they didn't know what to do with it. And it's one of the most memorable moments in TV. He didn't do it for publicity. He didn't do it for shares on social media because it didn't exist. He just did it because it was part of living a holy life. Watch what Mr. Rogers does. Oh, there's Officer Clements. Hi, Officer Clements. Come Hello, in. Rogers, how are you? Fine. Won't you sit down? Oh, sure. Just for a moment. It's so warm. I was just uh, putting some water on my feet. Oh, it sure is. Would you like to join me? It looks awfully enjoyable, but I don't have a towel or anything. Oh, you share mine. Okay. Sure. Oh, Come along. Man. I'll put some more water in here. Oh. This is going to turn into a beautiful day. 
You like bare feet? Well, yeah, as I grew older, I liked it more and more. Uh-huh. Good for you. You're pulling up your pants. I forgot to do that at first. Oh, I don't want them to get wet. Right. Oh, that feels great. Here. <laughs> you know, when you're a policeman, you do an awful lot of walking. And sometimes your feet get tired. Right. That feels better already. Good. Just massage them a little bit. Cool water on a hot day. Hmm. Well, thank you for your refreshments. Oh, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> You're welcome, Officer Clement. Shall we turn this off? Mm-hmm. Is that enough? Oh, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Well, that was so enjoyable. I'm sorry I couldn't stay longer. Well, I know how busy you are. But sometimes just a minute like this will really make a difference. There, that one's dry. And now, that one. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Who can put your hand in my hand and be ready to feel all safe and strong? There we are. You have great boots to fill, Officer Clement. <laughs> well, you thank fill you very them much. well. Thanks thank for you. stopping by. So long. Have a good day. Bye bye. It's amazing to see this small little moment. And what you don't see is in the 15 seconds after this video, Mr. Rogers takes that same towel and dries his own feet. And he, as he washes and dries his own feet, I'll tell you, he knew exactly what he was doing. Instead of yelling at our culture about how wrong it was and, and just lambasting everybody and hating them, he reminded his viewers of what's expected of them. He showed kids in one moment of taking a towel from Officer Francois Clemens' feet to his that the black on his skin is not going to rub off on your skin like everybody's telling you. You don't have to be scared of that. It's not going to happen. He exposed the lie of our culture with the love of Jesus Christ. He could have had a bullhorn yelling out at everybody that this is wrong, but is that really going to change anything? Instead, it would, the real change happens in the context of community when we are together. When we show what love looks like in community together. That's why we need each other, and God has given us the gift of each other. And Mr. Rogers never would have been able to do this if Francois Clemens was not a recurring character on his show. You see, what's funny is when, when he hired Francois Clemens, he was one of only three black men in America to have a regular spot in a TV show. In, in all of television, granted there's like four channels, but in all of the shows that are made, he was only the third black individual 
to have a regular job. And he joked around with Mr. Rogers when he took the job and Fred asked him, do you want to be the policeman? And he's like, you don't understand, my community doesn't trust policemen. And he says, then let's give them someone to trust. And he stepped into that role. And he said, I'll do it, Fred, as long as it doesn't interrupt my singing career. What you should know is Francois Clemens is a world-renowned opera singer, actually wrote operas for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. They're amazing. It changed things because he was there, because they were in community. It's almost like we could see what Paul says in verse 11 lived out. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters. Amen? Christ is all that matters, and he lives in us all. Christ is all that matters. And in that big moment in TV history, for Fred, it was even bigger for Francois. What's really cool about this story, if you want to go there, is in 1993, 24 years later, on this same show, Fred Rogers and Francois Clemens recreated this moment, and it was beautiful. Listen to how Francois remembers this scene 24 years later. Francois Clemens, hi, welcome. Thank you, how you doing? Fine, how are you today? Fine. My feet were tired, so I thought I'd just soak them for a while in this water. Does it make them feel better? It does. Would you like to try? Sure. On the show, he would say, I love you just the way you are. One day I said, Fred, were you talking to me? And he looked at me and he said, yes. I've been talking to you for two years and you finally heard me today. And I just collapsed into his arms. I, was, I started crying. I, that's when I knew that I loved him. There are many ways to say I love you. There are many ways to say I care about you. No man had ever told me that he loved me like that. I needed to hear it all my life. My dad never told me. My stepfather never told me. So, from then on, he became my surrogate father. I'm so proud of you, Francois. Oh, thank you, Fred. Thank Can I help you, you here? This time he didn't use the towel on his own feet, did he? He grabbed that towel and he dried Francois's feet off. And Francois, in his book and in multiple other video, uh, interviews, says, I knew exactly what Fred was doing. I knew exactly that he was thinking about Jesus washing the disciples' feet at the Last Supper when he was washing mine. And to have a man like that wash my feet, I didn't deserve it. That's what love looks like, doesn't it? What's going to keep a guy like Francois with a voice that could travel the world sitting in Pittsburgh for 25 years? True community. What we all want and long for. For someone to see us and say, I love you and mean it. Just the way that we are and say, I believe there's something great in you and Christ can bring this out and let me look like Christ to love you. Follow me as I follow Christ. Isn't this what we all want? Do you want this? I know I do. It only happens if we're in community. With each other. And will never happen at the Land of Make Believe Church. We need to stop jumping on the trolley and using our pain as the excuse to get away. I think many of us could use some really healthy counseling to get through our pain because it is real, it is valid, and it hurts. 
But that is no excuse to retreat from the very place that we find healing, not because we're all amazing. We can agree we've got a long way to go, but we are in Christ and he is amazing. And we need to bring that out in each other all the time. Amen? If we want to pursue holy lives, we need each other. And we're going to have to extend tons of forgiveness. I want this for every single one of us. I do. And I know that there's going to be issues. We'll deal with them as they come. I I love that. We're just going to. But we do it together. And some of you have asked quite often uh, recently about what it means to even be part of Crossbridge. Like, what does it mean to be a member at Crossbridge and all of this stuff? And it's come up so many times. You notice a lot of times we don't talk about it a ton because it hasn't really been um, high on our radar because we live life together. But at the same time, we have tried to balance this idea of like, it's important to know we're in this together. And so over the last two years, really specifically the last year, we've been working on redoing our whole membership process because membership feels like a weird word to use. So we're going to be transforming our membership and changing that name while it's still membership to partnerships. And partnerships are going to be how we live life together. Who's, who's doing this alongside you? And with the questions that many of you have, we're, we're going to do a meeting all together. I think it's uh, October 7th is the date. And it's going to be from 8 a.m. to 10.30 where uh, we just kind of look at what are, what's the vision of Crossbridge? What's the mission of Crossbridge? How did Crossbridge uh, come to be where it is? What in the world is the Christian Missionary Alliance? That's your denomination? I didn't even know we were part of a denomination. I love our denomination. I would love to tell you why. Um, you know, tell me, what, what's the staff do? Who, Jimmy, who are you responsible to? What does it mean to do this together? We're going to do this together. I would love to, for you to come. At the end, we're going to have a great Q&R time. You can ask all your questions. We'll respond openly and honestly. You don't have to agree with everything because we're going to do this together, but we'll work through it together. Amen? Who's our partners here? As we begin and, and start to dream out a building, all the, you ask about buildings all the time. This is a partnership issue. These are what our partners are involved in. How are we going to do this? We do it together. The other way that we connect at Crossbridge is our life groups. I know you heard an announcement about it um, a little while ago, and I'm going to tell you again. There are a few places that you will find loving people that you will have to bear with and bear with. They will bear with you, but you will live life together and truly be able to look at each other across the table and say, I love you and mean it. I've been in multiple different small groups at this church, and in each group, it has ended in a place where I love, Jeff, the way you said it when you preached a couple weeks ago, people who were strangers ended as friends. It was real and genuine, and it was like, I was so grateful for that. I I don't know about you, but I need that. And I do know about you. You need that. There's a bunch of different groups that you could sign up for. I don't have the time. I don't have this. You do. You do. Because we all make the choices in our schedule to do what's most important to us. If community is the most important thing, and you know you're going to need other people, the people on the sidelines with you are great, but are they going to point you towards a holy life all the time? We need that reminder, amen? We live life in community because Jesus lived life in community. And we celebrate communion every single week together because it demonstrates the fact that Christ is the center of all that we do and we will approach this table with the need to ask Christ for forgiveness and others around us at all times. 
but we can be blessed by the truth that Jesus says, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And so we get to extend grace to each other. And so today, after we take communion in, you can either do it online, you can do it uh, right at the next steps table. There's all sorts of signups for small groups. And even if you're like, I want to go to a small group, I can't stay the whole time, I got that, great. Just get there, even if it's for a little bit to find people in community that will walk with you and you can walk with them. This is the very thing that Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. And then when they came back, he said, the church is gonna be built on doing this together. So let's figure this out. Don't live this Christian life alone. If you do, you will feel guilty. (laughs) You will feel defeated. And the land of make-believe church gets really exhausting. It's lonely there. Would you stand with me as we prepare our hearts to take communion? Jesus, you are so good. You are so kind. I'm so grateful that you lived life in community and it was not perfect. I'm so deeply indebted to the moments where you could have retreated to get away from your disciples and you didn't. You retreated to be alone with the Father but then it always came back to these guys and were correcting them and rebuking them and encouraging them and stepping with them and you never asked them to take so many steps. It was just, okay, one step at a time. Let me explain this parable to you. Let Let me have you go out and do this thing. I know you're scared. Here's the Holy Spirit and you have given us that gift. Lord, I just pray in this moment as we approach the communion table, Lord, would you give us insight into where we belong and reaffirm that in our minds that we belong in community to be holy people, separated from this world in holiness, but right in the middle of it as light in a dark place, that people would find hope through the way that we live life. Where we need to confess, Lord, I ask that we would do that in this time. Give us courage today, in Jesus' name. At this time, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, I'd encourage you to head to one of the tables on the side where you can break your bread, dip your cup, and then we will receive the body and blood of Christ together.